Hello, and welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas into what it means to live as a follower of Jesus in the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. My name is Lauren Richmond Jr. Today I'm pleased to be joined by Reverend Elizabeth Hagen. Elizabeth is a graduate of Duke Divinity School and has been a pastor for 15 years. She saw and personally experienced the isolation, loneliness, and shame that remains unspoken when Christians shy away from difficult conversations. She knew that church could do better to foster a sense of acceptance and belonging. To that aim, she's written two books to help open the door to the presence of God in difficult situations. She's the author of Birth, Finding Grace Through Infertility, and Brave Church, which we'll be talking together here shortly, the Brave Church Tackling Tough Topics Together. So we will be talking about that together in our time. So welcome to the show, Elizabeth Hagen. Hey, Lauren. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for being here. Well, what would you like our listeners, what else would you like our listeners to know about you? Well, um, I... I'm a person who's done a lot of cool things, um, but I've also um, learned new tricks in adulthood. (laughs) So one of the things that I recently happened to me is that I did not know how to ride a bike. Hmm. Um, I grew up in a, we were just chatting, you were telling me you were in Denver. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up in Chattanooga, Tennessee, which is a very hilly um, region and I, I, we lived on this inclined driveway. My parents really weren't outdoorsy, and anyway, I just wanted to ride a bike, so I'm pretty excited about that. Um, I have a, um, I'm, I'm a mother to um, a girl that just turned five, and she learned to ride a bike. We learned to ride a bike about the same time. So awesome! It's <laughs> one of my, <laughs> one of my uh, most exciting accomplishments of recent. What kind day. of bike did you get? Well, at this point, I don't own a bike, but I was borrowing um, oh. friends. But, you know, just the fact that if, you know, there's so many cool things you can do with bikes, right? Yes. Like, you yes. can, you know, rent a bike and do a city tour or, you know, have a bike at the beach or something like that. So, I'm yeah, excited. and you get a bike. I, I love riding. Uh, it's, it's great just to be outdoors. Um, well, cool. Congratulations. And well, thank you. there's going to be a lot of exciting stuff. I will say, like, like anything in America, it can be like a black hole of like purchases and consumerism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, um, my husband likes that. He gets into a hobby and then he needs all the things. And mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, let's take a step back and make sure that we're totally into this and let's, we're getting all the things. But, um, you know, I, um, you know, professionally, I'm a, I'm a pastor that really enjoys being a part of communities of people with open hearts who mm-hmm. are doing the work of deep conversations. Um, I, I have served local churches. I have served in other positions and nonprofits um, throughout these years I've been ordained. And, you know, uh, being ordained was a, a really big deal for me. I remember the night um, before my ordination service, and I thought, wow, I think my life's about to change. And my friends thought I was a little dramatic. They're mm-hmm. like, you're doing mm-hmm. a job. But, you know, the the covenant that you make when you say that this is going to be your vocation for your life, yeah. you know, yeah. no matter what it looks 
um, it, it really does shape how you view whatever um, jobs or work you do or how you even interact with your friends or family. And um, so, um, you know, I've been doing this for over 15 years and it's, it's a calling I can't shake. You know, it's mm-hmm. something that's really um, important to who I am and what I do. And, um, you know, part of what I've learned over the years is that writing is a part of my ministry as a way to connect um, with the larger church or with ideas that I think are important sharing. And so um, I was never a kid who grew up thinking I'm going to be a writer one day. But um, my my writing journey really or publishing journey really began with finding um, with my first book birth, finding grace or infertility, that there just weren't people writing on the subject in the way in which I wanted to read. Yeah. So I had wise people in my life that said, well, why don't you do it? And, you know, which of course is sort of annoying. <laughs> it's not <laughs> what you want to hear. Why don't you do that? But it really was the right answer. Um, and such was the case um, with um, all the projects I've taken on since then. Yeah. Awesome. What, what would you share about uh, kind of your faith journey, what that's looked like for you? Well, I, I grew up um, as a church kid in, in Tennessee. Um, my father was a pastor, so we were very, very involved in church. Um, from an evangelical perspective, um, you know, I, I grew up in a, a faith tradition that was very big on doctrine, mm-hmm. teaching the Bible, um, being at church as often as we could, having all of our summer activities around church. Um, but, you know, a really big thing for me happened. It wasn't in the traditional, um, timeline, you know, in sort of the evangelical cadence, um, especially in a free church tradition, baptism, you know, when a person makes some sort of profession of faith, like that's Mm -hmm. supposed to be the moment for them. I mean, I did that when I was a little kid because I was scared about hell, um, from Mm -hmm. what I heard at BBS. (laughs) Um, But I did have a moment with God that I really count as real and authentic when I was 12. Mm -hmm. Um, And it kind of was the shaping force of my teen years. I became that kind of weird kid that was really into spiritual practice and really into um, youth group in a way in which other people weren't. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. you know, I grew up in a tradition where women weren't allowed to be leaders. Um, But... Uh, I guess to my advantage when I got into youth group and that we would go on these trips and, you know, part of the experience was sharing, you know, somebody had to give the church talk about, well, we had this great mission trip or whatever mm-hmm. it was. You got to do the it. Boys did not want to talk. So I ended up being like the go-to speaker. Yeah. And I had people tell me when I was in high school, if God had made you a man, you'd be a really good preacher. <laughs> and, um, I was like, well, I don't want to be a man. Um, so that's, I don't even know why you're telling me this, you know, because yeah. I, I just had never seen women in leadership positions. Um, but it wasn't until I was almost finished with college, and I was 22, and um, I saw women pr- preach for the first time. And that really, um, that really changed my life because I, um, I was finally able to realize that maybe um, what those people have been saying to me all along was possible. Mm. So this is kind of uh, in the weeds here, but I got to ask you, when I heard Chattanooga, my mind went to Tennessee Temple University, which, oh, yeah. did you have yeah. any connection with them? I don't really no, remember. I, I know that school, um, but uh, we played them. I went to I went to a private Christian school, of course, because that's what good evangelical <laughs> kids do. Um, Chattanooga Christian, we played Tennessee Temple in basketball and all the sports. Okay. So. 
Yeah. I don't remember um, super well what my connection was, but I just remember as a kid hosting, my dad's church would host groups from Tennessee Temple every once in a while. Um, well, you, you kind of mentioned writing being an important part of your life. Are there any other things that you'd highlight as important spiritual practices for you? Well, I have to say that that's, that's always a journey, right? Mm. For everyone in different mm-hmm. stages. Um, I, I really enjoyed listening to an episode recently you did with Brian McLaren. And, oh, thanks, yeah. Um, and, he, and he was talking about how his spiritual practices had changed over time. And I, I was like, you know, in my car going, yes, 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 that's mm-hmm. me too. Um, you know, I grew up as a, a big journaler, um, yeah. mostly because I didn't have a lot of close friends and understood my sort of spiritual you know, things that mm-hmm. I took really seriously. And sometimes I would even make up people like friends to write to. And that really hmm. helped me, um, in my um, teen years. Um, I don't journal as much as I used to. Um, I got into blogging and then I think I kind of got my social confidence in a way. <laughs> um, and as I moved more into adulthood that I don't necessarily feel like I need to do that. I can have, I can have conversations with people, hmm. uh, in a different way. Um, but I say spiritual direction is a huge practice in my life. I've had the same spiritual director now almost as long as I've been married, which is almost 15 years. Wow. Um, and one day she'll retire and I'll be very sad, but Hmm. you know, the practice of being pastored by someone else Mm -hmm. where, you know, there's someone that says, you know, where is God in this situation and who prays with you and for you has been really important. Yeah. Um, and, and here's one kind of silly one, but it's really kind of uh, a big part of my, my weekly rhythms. Um, I, I deal with the chaos of a family situation, but I do laundry a lot. Like I really love the laundry. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 it's like my favorite household chore, which laundry. I absolutely hate. Um, I will come to your laundry. Uh, you know, it's how I feel. Um, but I, uh, I don't do the laundry on Sundays, which mm-hmm. I know seems like, well, that's silly. But for me, it's like, because it's the thing that I, you know, love and do every day. And I'm always, you know, organizing my time around when I'm folding the clothes or whatever, um, that I, I just know that there's a pause to that. And for me, that's that sort of Sunday signal of, you know, it reminds me just not just the laundry, but that, that, um, that everything deserves a rest, you mm-hmm. know, and it, it's a good reminder in other areas of my life that, you know, we can't just do all the things all the time. Um, so. Is there something about, this is kind of a, a weird question, I suppose, but I'm curious, what's about, what is it about laundry that, that find, you know, I wonder, is there something more behind it that you find, I don't know, impactful? It's a silly question, I suppose, but. No, no. Well, here's a, um, you know, the um, Christian writer, Kathleen Norris, you familiar? Yeah, I've heard the name. Yeah, she's, um, I discovered her when I was in seminary at um, Duke Divinity School, and she has this great book called, um, which I often mispronounce, I believe it's called The Quadarian Mysteries, and it's all about, it's very short, but it's all about um, the work of daily tasks in our lives. She talks about cooking and dishes and Mm -hmm. laundry as being like these uh, for her and her own journey of these like huge spiritual practices. And hmm. and the tagline of it is, it's uh, the book is women's work. Um, and I can't remember the rest, but you know, the idea that, you know, these tasks have been um, put on women, you know, mm-hmm. through years of like, this is, 
this is the women take care of the house and these are things women's do. But what she was trying to do is like highlight for anyone, not just women, um, how these things can be grounding to us in Hmm. our day, you know, like to think of, you know, in all the great, uh, monastic traditions of, you know, uh, doing the dishes and, Mm -hmm. you know, so many have written about that or, you know, just teething and you know, working in the garden or, or doing something that requires regular maintenance. And I think any of those tasks, um, going to the grocery store, that's another thing. I, I have rules about the grocery store as a spiritual practice. Again, hmm. maybe weird, but I, I don't check my phone and I don't want to go with anyone and I don't want to talk to anyone. There's just something for me about like walking the aisles of the grocery store and being intentional about what I buy and don't buy. Um, it, you know, it it's something we all have to do. Well, maybe we haven't done it as much because of the pandemic, yeah. but you know, it, it's a grounding practice of uh, I'm here. I'm a human being. I need food. Um, you know, I'm just going to be at peace for this time that it takes me to complete this task. Kind of how I feel about the laundry. I don't like laundry per se, but I really enjoy matching socks. Oh, great. So, I mean, my wife hates matching socks, but for some reason for me, it's like an adventure to like match socks. Uh, and I, I love like, there'll be like a, just a laundry basket full of socks that my wife will just leave and I can just sit watching TV and have an adventure of just matching socks and find a lot of fulfillment in matching socks. <laughs> See, you know, we got to do those things, you know, that somebody, we got to have our socks matching, you know, otherwise we won't have any wear, so. I'm big on matching socks. It seems like more and more folks care about that less and less. (laughs) (laughs) Just, yeah. Well, let's move on from uh, hot laundry talk. (laughs) Um, Let's talk about your book. So Elizabeth Mm -hmm. has this new, new book called Brave Church Talking excuse me, tackling tough topics together. A lot of T's in there. Brave Church tackling tough topics together. So uh, tell a little bit about how the book came to be. Well, I I mentioned earlier that um, the first book I wrote um, was about our infertility journey. Mm -hmm. um, First, and when I wrote that book, um, and it came out um, the end of 2016, I was doing what authors do, which is you you go and speak at conferences and churches, and mm-hmm. you are connecting with people. And I really found, much to my surprise, because it felt so, it was such an act for me to get to the place where I was okay with sharing this vulnerable story with you know, anyone who picked up the book, not just, you know, my close friends or family. Yeah. And, um, I was ready, you know, I was ready to share with anyone. And I found that there were so many congregations that were really resistant Hmm. to me talking about infertility because they said, this is really not a, a topic we like to talk about in church, or maybe there's not enough. There was this perception that there had to be a quota of young people in the room Hmm. said old older people would not find it interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so what I did was I had to start thinking of ways to get myself still invited to these events Yeah. and people come to my, you know, workshops. And so I started doing a a lot of work around grief that we don't talk about in church, knowing that infertility is one of those things. And in that I started to hear just from 
wider, you know, people all across the country, just story after story of things they felt like if they brought up this subject that they uh, could not, um, they wouldn't be welcomed or their pastor wouldn't know how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And um, I just felt like, well, what if we created a resource, like a guide to help people begin to talk about these things so that these folks that I was meeting, that they would feel less alone and more included. Um, yeah. In their yeah. Great. Well, in reading the book, uh, obviously the title of the church is Brave Church, and you differentiate between a safe space and a brave space. So mm-hmm. I want to hear kind of if you can kind of flesh that out a little bit more. Sure. So um, the book starts with uh, five guidelines for what it means to be a brave church group, Mm -hmm. Uh, five things that you're going to covenant to that are, that will help you have these intentional, um, difficult conversations around the topics of, uh, infertility, miscarriage, mental illness, domestic violence, racism, and sexuality. And they, the, the importance of these rules is they counter our ideas around safety in the church. Mm-hmm. Because if you think about church history, like, and why does the church exist? It, mm-hmm. it has so much to do with um, people gathering because one, they have like-minded ideas about mm-hmm. God, faith, the Bible, etc., And because they want a community where they can worship freely uh, and, and talk about the things that are important to them in a way that they will not feel persecuted. You know, yeah. that's why they're Christians gathered. And it's a wonderful thing. I mean, we all need safe spaces. Mm -hmm. Um, Don't hear me say that safe spaces are not good. You know, we all need friends who are safe communities for us. Or if we're a person who's from a minority community in a majority culture that's different, we need those places where we can go and feel welcome just as we are. But the problem with safe spaces, uh, what happens is that we become so safe that we become so closed off from Hmm. ideas and people who are different from us. And I think the problem in that is that it, it limits our ministry to be good news because if we're just talking amongst ourselves and we're only allowing the loudest voices and we don't have any structure to invite new voices in, we're only inviting the majority loudest voices into our conversations. Yeah. That's all we hear. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you look at where we are as a country right now and what people think of Christians. And there are generally, you know, there's one point of view because those are the voices that are the loudest. Yeah. So I am, I didn't give you this as a, a question, but I'm, I'm curious. It's coming to mind. Like we would all, I imagine we'd probably both agree that there are some churches that are not even safe spaces in general. Absolutely. So, so do you think, like that's a continuum, like they can move from being a safe space to a brave space. And well, what does that I, process yeah, look like? I think, safety, I think safety, you, you need to start with that. Um, <laughs> yeah. you, you certainly do. And I had some early readers of Brave Church that, you know, are really amazing, thoughtful people that, you know, have communities outside their local church too, where mm-hmm. they feel welcome. And they said to me, you know, I love your concept, but my church isn't even safe. Yeah. Hmm. You know, and I'm like, okay, I, I hear you. I got you. Um, and you know, yes, we should not, 
I know as a female clergy, there are some communities that are not safe for me to go into. You know, Um, I look at who, you know, what their statements of faith are on their website or their who they have in leadership. And I think that will not be a safe space. You know, let's not go visit there. We're, you know, we're looking for a church on, in, a, in a community. So I think we have to be mindful of our, of our safety. But I do believe that, you know, churches are not homogeneous in mm-hmm. terms of their beliefs and their ability to be challenged. You know, and Brave Church is not, it is a concept, which I hope that leaders will take on and, and begin to be more brave in their leadership. But I say the magic of brave church is a small group experience, a group of six to eight people who will intentionally take on the work of having open hearts to mm-hmm. hear each other in different ways. Um, and I can imagine even in churches that maybe generally maybe may not be safe as a whole, there are some people who are hungry for more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and to this friend who said, I don't think my church is safe, you know, what I said to her is that I hope Brave Church could be a tool of reconciliation for you mm-hmm. and your church. Maybe maybe what you could do is take this book to your pastor and say, yeah. you know, I have, you know, I have felt I've had this experience, you know, whatever it may be of domestic violence or I've yeah. experienced racism or I've experienced miscarriage and you've never talked about it. And this has been such a big deal, um, in my story, in my life. Um, and that it would be a way to voice an experience, um, for a person, um, that may not have those words yet to talk about it or know how, um, to bring it up with yeah. a leader in the congregation. I'm curious if I can ask again, kind of, I'm a little off topic, but I'm just curious and I feel like it revolves around this theme. You mentioned kind of the importance of being brave in in groups, being brave together. What would you say, like, are there guidelines maybe for the individual, um, like entering into a space? uh, What is it like being brave entering a space what are some kind of rules to say like, Hey, this is, this is too dangerous for me, or this is appropriate for me to be brave, you know, whether it's individually, whether it's, it's a group, like you said, with, you know, the book to facilitate conversation, like what is kind of some guidelines for folks to be brave without like completely, you know, risking themselves, if that makes sense. Right. And so you're talking different than the brave space rules that I lay out, but just generally how. A yeah, because I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, like, if there's an individual who's like a part of a church or wants to be a part of a church and is like, you know, wh- how how much should I be brave and how much just, should I just say, like, this isn't this is not right. going to work. Right. Yeah. And I, I'm not for like um, just sharing whatever, you know, and mm-hmm. you and I both know of these like internet personalities of people who get <laughs> online every day. Right. And they just like, they're going to tell you all kinds of things about themselves that maybe you don't even want to know. Yeah, you know, don't want to know. I'm, I'm not saying that that's not brave. Um, brave is brave is a muscle, you know, yeah. that all of us develop and brave comes with discernment and wisdom. You know, I really, I, I always go back to my own life. Um, the quote from, Pastor Nadia Boltz Weber, who says that we lead from our scars and not our wounds. Yeah. And, you know, you and I probably have seen pastors, um, and I've been tempted to be this pastor and I had to check myself, you know, that 
quote, bleed all over a congregation. You know, yeah. they get up on a Sunday and their sermons are, you know, about, you know, deep in the, the, the crazy or the chaos or the pain or whatever's going on in their life. And that's just not appropriate. Um, we need, we need safe spaces to retreat to, to process that pain and begin to, um, to heal from it. But I think, you know, for a person to practice being brave, I think the number one ingredient is to have an open heart, an open heart to, to want to, um, be able to share something, even if it's not the whole thing quite yet, something of your own experience Mm -hmm. that is real with a group. And you also have to have an open heart to other people. Uh, It's so easy to get caught up, I think, in, well, I I went through this or I know about this. And so your experience can't be true. Hmm. And that just shuts down conversation um, so fast. So open hearts goes both ways um, and and can be, um, you know, quite, quite powerful. Um, You know, one of the the rules that I ask... um, groups to covenant to if they go through Brave Church um, is the rule that you ask permission before you challenge someone's views on a subject. Mm-hmm. And I do that kind of for the reason that you're talking about that the idea that sometimes subjects, while we may have experience in a particular topic, you know, I have experience in infertility and miscarriage. Some yeah. days I want to talk about that. Some days I don't, you know, because it it's been triggered by something that is painful for me. And yeah. so we don't expect like, you know, the worst thing is say you're a mostly homogeneous group and you have one or two members of color in the group and you put them on the spot and say, okay, will you tell me what it means to experience racism? Yeah. You know, maybe they want to share, maybe they don't, but that's not necessarily always, um, that's not brave, um, because it's not giving them the agency to share when they're ready to. Yeah. You know, you were mentioning about kind of oversharing on Twitter and I feel like surrounding or I don't know if the word surrounding and enmeshed in this whole thing is the importance of boundaries. Um, and I feel like that's something that I see on Twitter regretfully. And I feel like there's a correlation between like people who overshare on Twitter and then like several months later, like get back on Twitter and say that their life is a mess. That's a little bit judgmental, but I, I feel Mm -hmm. like there's such an importance of boundaries and knowing what's appropriate to share, kind of knowing where you end and where the other person begins, right? Right. I want to let's kind of let's kind of talk through like those f- your five kind of guidelines, and I'll, mm-hmm. I'll ask some some specific questions about these. But I thought it might be helpful just to kind of hit um, your five points. So you have uh, controversy without civility, or I'm sorry, with civility. Important distinction. Yes, please. <laughs> controversy with civility being a good thing, owning your intentions and your impact, challenge by choice, which you just kind of mentioned, respect, which folks hopefully would understand, and then a good one, but simple, but important to to reinforce, no personal attacks. Um, So I think I would ask, like, I think the first one immediately, like controversy, I feel like 99% of churches are just like, we're going to run the other way from controversy and it kind of gets at like conflict in most churches, at least that I've been a part of feel like any kind of conflict is a bad thing. And I feel like you're saying that conflict is a good thing. Yes, I am. 
And that is the, one of the hardest um, concepts to really take in. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, when we we do the opposite of this, which is say, agree to disagree to keep the peace, which yes. is something we, yeah. we do so much of in, in the church and in our culture. What we're doing is we're silencing voices hmm. who have something to say mm-hmm. and have something we need to hear, but maybe they're not of the majority opinion. And so, uh, and th- that's really important. Um, to allow that to bubble up. And that conflict, and I know I've experienced this in my personal life, is the thing that often helps us go deeper in relationships. Yeah. I mean, if you think about conflict you've had with partners or friends or family members where you think, oh, that was so dreadful. I didn't want to have that talk. I didn't want to have to spend my day <laughs> working on this issue. But if you're able to you know, commit to the way of kindness, which is part of the conflict, um, that we are accepting conflict, but also committing to kindness. What happens in the end, uh, as you're able to make your way through it, you know, what you find is that you feel closer to that person and you Mm -hmm. often have more respect for them. You understand where they come from. And, you know, as much as, yeah, we all like to avoid it. I, I mean, I don't get up in the morning I mean, I know maybe there are some of these people, but I don't get up in the morning and say, I want to get into a fight with someone today. That would be awesome. You know, or I want to offend my church today. Um, They might have other issues they need to work through first. Yeah, but when those things happen, you know, you often learn things that you would have never known. Um, You learn what makes people tick. You learn what their values are. People learn that about you. And it can be a powerful tool of relationships. I don't know if you've read the book Critical Conversations, um, but it kind of has a similar value of like most people avoid conflicts like the plague. You know, you can get to a point where you're like, you can handle conflicts. And then at some point, like you almost like welcome conflicts, not as like, you know, like you want to start conflicts, but that you appreciate the opportunity to, to go deeper with people okay. and work through things. Uh, I'm still yeah. not there yet. <laughs> where I want to jump into a conflict necessarily, but uh, I've gotten beyond where I can just avoid it like the plague at least. Right. And I mean, and that's the thing, like I've had churches, well, I've had pastors even, this book's been out um, a month or two and they're like, Oh, I love it. You know? And then they look at it and they're like, Oh, (laughs) (laughs) but if you do this and you say racism in your, in my church, like there's going to be people who might leave. And I'm like, well, they might, you know? But isn't the gospel, you know, mandate us to talk about those who feel most left out and most unwelcome yeah. and, most, and who are not, who experience, um, you know, prejudice in their daily lives. I mean, like I would rather do that and have people leave. I mean, but it takes kind of some thick skin and it takes a willingness to, to have failure mm-hmm. and, to, and to really know your conviction mm-hmm. about why you talk about something. Um, I preached at a church on Sunday and I was like, yeah, I could have not, I could have, I, I ended up talking about brave church as part of the sermon. And I was telling some of the, just the general feedback that I got when I was, um, interviewing people for the book about how much pain I feel like I heard of those, um, who, who have experienced, uh, just being unwelcomed in church. And 
and it would have been really easy to not have added that to the sermon, but I, it was about the the Ephesians text about the expansive love of God, about it being so wide and deep mm-hmm. and long. I was like, but we got to go run. <laughs> I mean, hmm. literally run to people who have feel this way, because if we truly believe the love of God is wide and deep and expansive, then why, why are we not allowing it to overflow to those who don't feel that love? Um, and, you know, that, that's what, that's what makes me want to be a part of the church, the church, you know, worldwide. Yeah. Um, and those people that are not right quite there to talk about these things, um, not that you you know love them any less, but you just know that this is this is so so important. And because people literally are dying, you know, yeah, people are committing suicide because we don't talk about mental illness. People are dying yeah. because we don't talk about racism. People are dying because they feel like their sexual sexuality is not you know welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. That just fires me up. So yeah, good. Love it. Uh, your second rule is owning your intentions and your impact. And I think this is so important in the book you wrote. And I wrote these down. We are not our words, but we are responsible for them. Uh, and this was probably my favorite line in the book. Cause I think, I feel like this can be really like a white person thing probably like really like a white male thing is like, Hey, I'm just, I'm just saying this. I'm just saying this, like, you know, back, you know, it's like, calm down. I just, it's like, I'm just going to say this and then not like, not like accept any repercussions for what I said. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and no one's saying, I mean, this, this is not about people going out, you know, to the playground of life and being mean, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a whole other topic. We're talking about people who believe they have good intentions for what they said mm-hmm. that, you know, that they, they are trying, um, to be kind. Yeah. And, you know, we want to assume the best of everyone. Um, we do, but you know, kind of the counter to this rule is what we say to people. Well, just don't take it so personally or why yeah. do you have to get so worked up over this? Yeah. Uh, and that's taking the ownership of our words and putting them on someone else. Yeah. But instead we take the ownership back on our words and realize, Hey, I may not have the worldview or may not have the experiences to really speak the best words. And even if I was trying, I still can make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was having a conversation about brave church with a predominantly African American church a couple of weeks ago. And we were talking about racism and I felt like I was shaking a little bit in, in my shoes because here I am. Um, I am a white person talking about racism with predominantly mm-hmm. um, black church. Um, but they had so much to teach me uh, about, um, you know, in the stories that they were telling me about their own experiences of racism and how important it is. It's not that they're expecting perfection out of their friends mm-hmm. who are not of color, but they do want to be heard. Mm-hmm. And they do want to understand that you're on a journey um, of learning and listening and willing to say, I'm sorry yeah. if you say something that's offensive. I wonder, you kind of mentioned at the beginning this idea or the beginning of that statement, like this idea of like, you know, the words might have good intentions. They might not receive, be received well. Like, is this, is it fair to say like, you know, it can be a both and situation where like, you know, I I may have good intentions and the other person may need to hear me with good intentions, but 
Like, I can still be responsible for those words, even if, I don't know, is that fair? I mean, it is fair. It is fair. But the more I've um, talked about these um, mm-hmm. over the past um, bit, the more I realized that the the kind of trajectory of each of these brace, um Brave Church rules is really toward leaning toward um, the perspective of those who have are not the majority opinion mm-hmm. and of those yeah. who are generally left out. And so what we're doing with these with these Brave Church rules is we're elevating in the conversation um, the experiences of those who have felt disenfranchised by their own church experience as yeah. the first thing. Not saying that, you know, that if we have good intentions, we may, uh, you know, we're doing the best we can. We're all doing the best we can. Right. You know, we're growing up, all of us, you know, have grown up in, you know, institutional systems that have not given us the full story of what it means to be a good human. Yeah. Um, I mean, really, it's it's, it's in the water and we, we can't change that, but we can begin to take um, responsibility for our impact yeah. um, in the present moment with a person in front of us. And I think that's the most important thing is just like getting back to what you said, a word responsibility of like owning, owning yourself, uh, you know, being responsible for yourself. I think, I think that's so important. Um, so one other thing is the, the third thing you say is challenged by choice. And, and I think about, again, this idea of boundaries, uh, the importance of boundaries and then of asking permission. I'm not sure. I want to hear from you, like if you like if these things go together way. I'm thinking them together, but tell more about that if you can. Well, I, I think I mentioned on a little bit earlier the idea that some, you know, we don't want to elevate a person in the room as being like, well, you're going to speak for all people who went through domestic violence, or mm-hmm. you're going to speak for everyone who's been through a miscarriage, knowing yeah. that these experiences are vast and different, and that they often come from a tender place of pain and, and that we're not always just because we're, we're in a group and we're trying to be brave and we're trying to hear one another out. And maybe we, we need clarification on points at times Then we're not going to just use challenge as an excuse to Mm -hmm. break someone. Um, Challenge can be a good thing. Challenge is, you know, the heart of conflict where we learn but you know, not maybe not everyone's ready to be in the fire at that particular moment. And and I imagine this can go. <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> swallow my coffee down the wrong way. Oh, that's alright. I imagine this can go in any direction, right? Um, when I think about uh, as someone who grew up in conservative Christian spaces, uh, this idea of what I would call like forced vulnerability, mm. where folks kind of like forced to share. And I don't know about you if if you would agree elizabeth but i wonder like if you're in a brave if we're if we're in a brave space and we're having these brave conversations is it fair like there's there might be a, a white man an older white man who's like i'm not ready to have i'm not ready to kind of share my full thoughts on for instance race mm-hmm. and it, is it unfair to kind of force that person to kind of share it is, is that is it on track yeah no that's that's perfect yeah yeah, and I, I, I like that phrase, forced vulnerability, because yeah. I think um, growing up in a church, it's like, you are you sure you're saved? Mm-hmm. You, you need to rededicate your life again. And it's like, if you're not crying at the worship songs, that somehow yeah. you know, you're not in love with God. And 
you know, we all have our own, you know, you started talking about spiritual practice. We all have our own ways of connecting with God and we have our own ways of connecting with people. And there are people in groups that are just not talkers and maybe they're going to say something that's really profound on the sixth meeting at yeah. the end of the yeah. meeting. And we're going to wait for that because we're so excited to hear what they have to say. But that's that's when it's appropriate for them to speak. And yeah. to ask them to speak any sooner um, would not be uh, respectful of their humanity. So. Yeah. Well, there's two more that I want to kind of squeeze in here. Uh, respect, which we think sounds simple. Respect is respect. But you have this important mm -hmm. caveat that we need to find out what respect means to different people. And I imagine this is a lot to do with culture to some extent, right? Like what, Absolutely. what I find respectful may not be what you find respectful. Right. And certainly right. across yeah. cultural and socioeconomic differences. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and different regions of the country, yeah. different genders, different nationalities, you know, um, so many congregations, um, you know, at least in the DC area where I've spent most of my ministry are multicultural. So, you're going to have people that maybe present as um, African-American, but they're not. They're actually African, you know, and so mm -hmm. there's going to be different ways in which they are going to want to worship and connect, you know, that it's going to be unique to them. And so, you know, this rule gets at understanding, you know, taking the time to understand what respect uh, looks like for you and what respect looks like for me. Um, yeah. that oftentimes, you know, kind of like the, the love language idea that, hmm. you know, everybody mm -hmm. knows about, you know, about how we show affection to one another. And sometimes we're trying to show um, yeah. love, but the other person doesn't receive that kind of love. And so it's kind of like a missed opportunity, um, that happens yeah. in my marriage. Um, you know, I'll write him a note, you know, cause I love words and he's <laughs> like, well, I don't really do notes, you know? <laughs> I've had to learn, you know, he really likes if I pick up the dry cleaning, you know, that's, yeah. that's, that's the thing. Yeah. Um, and it's the same with respect that we, it's a learning curve with one another. Yeah. Well, your last one, and I don't want to brush by this too quick, but just for the sake of time, I want to include it. No personal attacks. And it seems like an obvious one, uh, but you have challenge ideas, not people. And I, I think it can be always so easy to be like an intense conversation. Like you, you know, it, it gets. To me, it makes me think of, is it the nonviolent communication of similar concepts, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's, I think it's one of the reasons why people don't talk about the yeah, subject, yeah. because it gets so personal so fast, and yeah. we make it about, like, you are a bad person, you are a racist, yep. you're a homophobic person, you're a, you know, whatever it might be, um, you're just so misguided, and maybe their ideas mm -hmm. need some more fleshing out or needs more exposure, mm -hmm. but they're not a bad person, you know, and, and there's nothing that shuts down a conversation faster than, you know, you are this mm -hmm. um, and a better way to approach it is I feel when you say this, um, this way. Yeah. So, I mean, how, I know, I know we're kind of running over time here, but I'm curious like I found in some context, like I understand why, um, like the term homophobe, like why that's an appropriate term in some contexts. But I've also seen like in some contexts, people just like, I don't know. I'm not sure even sure how to ask the question. Like I'm thinking like 
is that where you know if we're if you're ta- if you're in a, if you're in a church community where they're talking around LGBT equality, mm-hmm. um, there's some people might be hardly heavily advoca- advocating for equality and, and affirmation, <clears throat> and there's obviously some people who are might feel differently against it. Um, is that where you'd say something like, "Hey, your your ideas or your words can be seen as homophobic"? Uh, I don't know. Obviously I, just... know. I mean, I think you get at the, the point of, you know, language can be really, you know, um, because we all view words differently. It can mm-hmm. be very hurtful. Yeah. But, you know, when I was writing the sexuality chapter, I really tried, um, again, this book is not what Elizabeth thinks about all these topics. Therefore, mm-hmm. you should believe. Yeah. Um, I hope that that's what you got when you read it. That was really my greatest hope. Um, it, it is here. Here are here. Here's a plate. Here's a platter for you. Mm-hmm. And please. This is how you talk about it. And ultimately, um, it's about understanding a, another person's humanity. Mm-hmm. And, and in the sexuality chapter, I really give you some stories, both of uh, that I've interviewed and, and people in my own pastoral experiences who have felt left out, who have mm-hmm. felt less than, who have been dehumanized because of their um, choices um, yeah. in sexuality. And, and for me, that's the thing that I always you know, want to go back to in that particular conversation is let's not call each other names, but can we sit, can we just sit for a minute and sit with this person who identifies, say, as transgender or mm-hmm. who identifies as bisexual or non-binary, whatever it may be. Can we just sit for a minute with their experience and how it, how it is for them to be in the world, mm-hmm. what they're going to face, what are, what, what persecutions they're going to encounter really for no good reason um, yeah. other than they're, they're not the norm. Um, can we just sit with their experience and just take it in, you know, because I think something powerful happens when we're able, I know it was for me in my life. I didn't grow up in a very open community and it yeah. wasn't until I was in college and beyond that I began to have relationships with all different sorts of people. And, and it was the humanity that got me, you know, these are, these became my friends. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I also had the experience of being a person who was called to be a pastor in a tradition and in a family system that really didn't know what to do with that. Yeah. And when you know that there's something about you, in my case, the ministry is something about me that I can't change. And in the case of folks who identify um, in the LGBTQ community and they cannot change this fact about them um, is what they say. Um you know, how, how are we going to respond to that in love and kindness? Um, yeah. So. I feel like it gets back to what we talked about at the top. Like if, like that would be my rule. Like if, if a place can't accept you as a person, like you shouldn't be a part of that. And like, I don't, I don't want, I would never want to ask someone to be a part of a place that can't accept their humanity. Uh, mm-hmm. And frankly, like, I don't want to talk to people really who like deep, affirm people's humanities like uh, that's to me that's just beyond unsafe it just it's reckless and dangerous and inhumane but we are way over time so let's take a break and we'll come back with some closing questions all right we're back with elizabeth hagan and uh elizabeth thanks for the the conversation and uh these closing questions you can take as seriously or not as you'd like to uh, but if you're pope for a day what do you want to do? What does that day look like? I want to make everyone take a nap. 
<laughs> just chill out. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think we're just, I mean, so in this like respond to everything mm-hmm. 24-7 culture that if we just all just took a moment um, and the Pope said, let's just shut it all down, imagine um, yeah. what, what we might learn and be more present if we could we could just have a minute of rest, like real pure rest. You know, we're way over time, so I shouldn't say this, but I keep, I imagine a scenario in which that, like the Pope could just institute an hour in each time zone a nap. And what would inevitably happen would be like, there'd be people who'd work through their, their nap time. And then we'd just get articles and like talking heads talking about how like entrepreneurial and productive these people are who work for, through work through the nap time. <laughs> right. Yeah, we'd find a way to mess it up, but yeah. Yeah, right. I'm a theologian or historical Christian figure you'd want to meet or bring back to life. Well, the I, I it's a great question, but the first one that came to mind was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Mm-hmm. I've always loved his work. Um, uh, I've taught his book Life Together many, many times, and just always admired his story of. Uh, listening to God, even when it cost him. Mm-hmm. Um, his comfort. Yeah. Um, what do you think history will remember from our current time and place? Well, in a, just a normal, I mean, how can we not the coronavirus, yeah. right? Like we're all tell our kids one day, remember kids when we never went to school and yeah. <laughs> we made our own donuts at home and we, Oh, I need to get, I need to get into that. Making my own donuts at home. I know that that's been our thing. We can now make donuts, but, um, uh, yeah, it, w- it will definitely be that. And uh, when it comes to the church, you know, we, we all went on Zoom and mm-hmm. Facebook Live and all the things. Um, I, I think it's, we will always remember the point in which we all had to be televangelists. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Well, what are your hopes for the future of Christianity? Innovation, innovation, innovation. Mm-hmm. You know, I think. Holy Spirit is always in the business of leading us into new ways Amen. to be the body of Christ and with each other. And, you know, that may look very different. And innovation, like being brave in church, is scary because we feel like, you know, we may fail, this may not work, but I don't think we should be embarrassed by failure or or trial and error of things. But, that you know, um, the... The church, I hope, will keep evolving and uh, being what our time and place needs it to be. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for this brave conversation, I think. Um, and uh, where can people find out more about you? Well, um, you can easily find out about me on Elizabeth ElizabethHagen.com. Um, it's H-A-G-A-N. Um, and if you want to know more about Brave Church, um, it's ElizabethHagen.com slash Brave Church. Um, you mentioned Twitter. I always love a good Twitter conversation. Um, I've, I've made so many like like real and life friends hmm. over Twitter because you never know who you're going to meet. Yeah. Um, so look me up on Twitter as well. What's your handle? What's your handle then? Um, it's Elizabeth Hagen. Um, well, only one H in between. All right. Well, the book is Brave Church tackling tough topics together so encourage you to check it out and for your faith community especially uh would be great for any faith community so thanks so much elizabeth for your time and uh may god's peace be with you thank you you too thanks for joining us on the future christian podcast to learn more about lauren or the podcast visit future-christian.com 
one more thing before you go. Do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. And if you're feeling especially generous, leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people about the podcast. The Future Christian Podcast is a production of Torn Curtain Arts and Resonate Media. Our episodes were mixed by Danny Burton, and the production support is provided by Paul Romaglevitt. Thanks, and go in peace. Peace.